Well, good. Well, good morning, everybody. That was just awesome. And I just want to say congrats to Chad and getting baptized. That was so cool. And I just really agree with what he said, too. And, um, you know, I know that um, if there's anyone who's here, maybe even just watching Chad get baptized, if you're a person who's never been baptized and you have personally made a decision to follow Jesus, we would actually look at you and we'd say that that is actually your next step, is that you uh, follow uh, Christ in obedience and get baptized. And so if you are looking for more information on that, you can uh, check in the uh, Connect card that we have, uh, either in the chairs or online, you can check on those. Uh, and you can talk to your life group leader. You know, one of the places that we sometimes practice baptism is also inside of life groups. But if that's a step you haven't made and you are a follower of Jesus, man, we would just really encourage you to do that. And of course, we just celebrate with Chad. That's just so awesome uh, to be able to see it together. Um, like Colin said a little bit ago too, um, happy 4th of July, everybody. And I uh, hope you have a great Independence Day. I appreciate you uh, making this part of your plans. I know that some of you were up late last night, maybe watching fireworks, or you plan to be up late tonight, maybe watching fireworks or blowing off fireworks or whatever it is that you do. And, uh, and so that's really good. But we do appreciate you being here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, whether you're first time here in the room or it's your first time connecting with us on live stream, we also just want to extend a real special welcome to you. Thanks for being here. And you are actually catching us in the middle of a series. And so we've been uh, journeying in this sermon series together that we've been calling Broken Religion. And if you're new to the conversation, what we've been doing is we've been basing this whole series really off of one passage of the Bible. So we've been just kind of going carefully through this one passage of Scripture and the passage we've been going through is Matthew chapter 5. And so I actually would love to encourage you, if you would, why don't you go ahead and get your Bibles out and would you turn with me, or for many of us who have been here in the weeks past, would you return with me back to this passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 5. And so as you're finding that, that passage, um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, page 786 in the Bible's under the chairs. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have one of those. You can just take that Bible home with you. But as you flip there, the reason we've been looking at Matthew 5 is we said that this actually contains within it Jesus' most famous teaching ever. It's his most famous sermon he ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what we've been saying. We said that when you look at Jesus' teaching, when you actually look at what Jesus taught carefully, we said that in many ways, Jesus' teaching is so radical, it is so uniquely radical, uh, that in many ways, it just blows apart our preconceived notions that many of us tend to think of when we think of religion. We said that Jesus' teaching is so radical that in a lot of ways, he breaks our understanding of what religion is. For Jesus, religion is far more than just a box that you check in which you, a belief system that you affiliate yourself with. Uh, for Jesus, religion is much more than just attending a religious service once a week or just by adhering to a certain set of external rules and principles. We said for Jesus, religion actually goes all the way down into the intricacies of a person's life, the most personal and the most practical day-to-day -day aspects of a person's life. In fact, even in this teaching, in Matthew chapter five, we said Jesus gets so personal that he talks about issues that really get down to the heart, all the way down to the personal and practical parts of our day-to-day -day life. And so uh, we actually, a couple weeks ago, we started looking at Jesus' teaching on anger. 
And some of you might remember that. We said that Jesus is going to talk about something as personal and something as practical as resentment and indifference that we have towards other people and how to interact in our relationships with each other. And then, of course, uh, we also talked about what Jesus has to say about sex. We said Jesus' teaching is so personal and so practical that he's going to talk about issues of lust. He's going to talk about issues of human sexuality. And for the past couple of weeks, that's what we've done. We've talked about lust. We've talked about Jesus' vision for human sexuality. And all that brings us to what we're going to be talking about today. And so as we continue in the sermon series, we're going to find Jesus' teaching on marriage. And that's actually what we're going to be digging into today. And when I say marriage, I probably need to be a little bit more specific because that's a little bit misleading because, yes, we're talking about marriage, but what we're going to look at today is actually Jesus' teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Okay, so it's kind of the whole thing. So, so today we're going to kind of drill down on these verses where we're going to see Jesus' teaching and Jesus' take on issues of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Now, let me just say, before we jump into this and we look at what Jesus has to say, uh, it probably goes without saying that this is most likely going to be a conversation that for some of us is going, to be, uh, is going to be very close to home, and for some of us is going to be a very sensitive and maybe even uh, a somewhat um, challenging topic for us to, to deal with. And the reason I say that is because uh, my guess is that probably every single one of us that's in this room has been impacted either directly or indirectly by some of the things that we see here on the screen. Right? And, and my guess is that some of us, what we're talking about here today is not just some theoretical conversation. What we're not talking about is just some abstract you know, kind of thing. This is a reality that you're living out, or this is a reality that has played itself out in your life. And so for some of you, maybe that's indirectly. Maybe you're a person who grew up. Maybe your parents had a challenging marriage, or maybe you grew up in a home where there was divorce. And so because of that, you were impacted by that in some way. Uh, For some of us, maybe we've had friends or loved ones who have journeyed through marriage and divorce and remarriage, and we've journeyed with them through that, and that's impacted us indirectly. And then, of course, for many, for many people who are here in the room or many people who are even watching online, this is a conversation that impacts you directly, right, directly, because maybe for you, in fact, there's some of you who, who are here right now who are journeying through the agony of a painful divorce, and that is the reality that you're living out right now. Uh, For some of you, you have been divorced uh, in the past, maybe it was a while ago, but you're still living out all the complexities that came from the aftermath of that divorce. And so maybe that's custody battles, and maybe that's trying to figure out holidays and navigating through the complexities of, of having different children who are connected to a new marriage or whatever that might look like. For some of us, we're being impacted that way. Uh, For some of you, maybe right now at this very moment, you're in a very, very challenging place in your marriage, and maybe unbeknownst to anybody else, you're actually contemplating divorce, and that's actually something you're trying to think through uh, right now. But of course, maybe for others, maybe you're someone who has been divorced, and maybe you are remarried, and maybe you're the kind of person that because that's a part of your past, maybe you're the kind of person where when you walk into certain environments, you feel like maybe people view you differently. So for example, maybe you're a person who when you walk into a church like this, maybe you can't help but when you hear about the topic, feel a little squirmish because you wonder if you wear a scarlet letter because people look at you differently because of some of the things that exist in your past. So like I said, this is a complicated issue, as you can tell, for a lot of different people. And then of course, on top of all of that, some of you are single who are in this room. 
And we have a lot of single people who are in our church, and you might be thinking, is this yet another sermon that has nothing to do with me because I'm a single person, and it's apparently for married and divorced people. And let me just say, by the way, that if you're single, I really actually really want to encourage you. I think that what, what this conversation, and we'll get there at the end, I actually think it has a lot to say to you, all right? And so I'll get there in just a second. But here's what I just want to say. No matter what, what, it, no matter what your circumstance is, no matter where you're coming from, I actually want to, I want to ask you if you just stick with me all the way to the end, okay? Hear the whole thing all the way through. And I also want to ask you this. I want to ask that maybe you'd show me, um, if you would just show me some grace in this conversation. I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit reluctant to even address this because I just, I know this, I can promise you this. I can promise you that today's sermon is going to be inadequate to deal with all of the surrounding nuances and complexities that shroud a topic like this. And so I know that's the case. But here's what my desire, and this is what I really want you to hear. My desire is that today, that I can adequately represent what Jesus teaches, but my, 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 my desire is that I can also adequate, adequately represent his heart. So it's both of those things. That's what I'm really going for. And, uh, and so having said all of that, let's go ahead and jump in and let's look at what Jesus says about this very challenging and close-to-home topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so starting off in verse 31, here's what Jesus is going to say. Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. All right, real fast, I just want you to take note of something, mental note. Notice that when Jesus says this, that he's quoting from somewhere. Okay, so Jesus is quoting something. Just keep that in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that. It's actually very important. Okay, so Jesus says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Here's what Jesus says. But I tell you that anyone that divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, so there you go. That's Jesus's teaching on divorce and remarriage, his two-sentence take on the topic. All right, you guys got it? All right, any questions? All right, good. We're going to pray. The band's going to come up. We'll be dismissed. And <laughs> No, I'm just... I'm now, if you're anything like me, when I read that, my first thought is, that's it? Like, Jesus, that's all. You're going to give us two sentences on a topic that is so complicated and is so difficult. You're going to give us two sentences. Like, could you elaborate a little bit? That's what I, I tend to think. And let me just say that if you're like me and you think that, in this particular instance, we're actually extremely fortunate because Jesus actually does elaborate on this topic. Here's what I'm talking about. Did you know that these very same words that Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, he says the exact same words in a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 19 verbatim, but he expands on them. I think that's really helpful. And so because of that, what I want to encourage you to do is you got, you got your Bibles open to Matthew 5. I want you to go 14 chapters to the right, and I want to look at the expanded version of what Jesus says on this topic in Matthew chapter 19. Okay, so like I said, he's going to say the exact same teaching, but he's going to expand on it. And we're going to get more insight into Jesus's heart and Jesus's teaching on this topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Here's, what I, here's, here's the other thing I find helpful. The context in which Jesus is going to teach this in Matthew 19 is it's the context of a conversation that he's having. So let's take a look. We're starting from verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3. Here's what the Bible says. It says, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and for every reason? All right, so let's just stop there for a second. Let's give you a little bit of context. 
you'll notice that this, this conversation is happening with a group of people called the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are the ones who are talking to Jesus. Now, some of you, um, you know this, you've been around the Bible long enough. The Pharisees were kind of like the professional religious people. Okay? These were kind of like the, the varsity level holy people of Jesus's day. They were the professional Bible scholars. They had the entire Old Testament memorized. Okay, that's these guys, is the Pharisees. And you'll notice that they're talking to Jesus. They're engaging in a dialogue with him. But this is anything but a, this is anything, uh, this is the furthest thing from like a friendly Q&A. What you see is that the Pharisees, they actually had a desire to test Jesus. Some of your translations say that they were trying to trap Jesus. So we know what their intentions were. They were purposely trying to trap Jesus in his words. And so what was the test? What was the trap that they set out for Jesus? Well, it came in the form of a question. And I want you to notice the question. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the question that we have to ask is, why was this a test? What was it about this question that was a trap? And here's where I think a little bit of background is going to help. So uh, back in the first century, in Jesus' time, there actually was this raging debate that was taking place among the religious community. And the heated topic, the hot topic issue, was surrounding divorce and remarriage. That was actually what the big, the big argument was. In fact, I had one friend say that, I thought this was really helpful. He said, when the Pharisees asked this question, this would be like asking a politician a question about gun control. It would have been a very heated, it would have been a very polarizing topic back in this time for them to bring it up. Well, what was the debate? Well, the debate actually was all about how to interpret a certain passage of the Bible. And so you guys remember how earlier I told you in Matthew 5, Jesus said, it is written, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. I said, he's quoting from somewhere. Well, where he was quoting from was this passage in the Old Testament that was the source of this debate. And what was that passage? So I'm gonna show it to you. You guys stick with me here for just a second. I'm gonna show it to you. This is a really obscure, strange law that exists in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. And here's what it says. So I'll just read it to you. Here's the law. Moses says this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. Are you guys tracking with all that? That is one sentence, believe it or not. That's the longest run-on. And I know for us, that seems, this seems like such a weird law. Quite honestly, I think for a lot of us, it seems, if you read it, it seems really sexist. It's all this about if a man wants to divorce his wife, and it says nothing about a woman divorcing her husband or anything like that. And I wish, listen, I wish we had a lot of time to get, in, get into this whole thing. After studying it this past week, I'm convinced that the reason that this law was in the Bible was actually, it might seem sexist at first glance, but I think the reason it was put there was actually as a protection from the mistreatment and the oppression of women that would have happened in a patriarchal society where men abused divorce and remarriage. Now, we don't have time to get into all of that, but here's where the big debate was, was surrounding. It was surrounding these words right here. The big debate was, what did Moses mean when he said displeasing and indecent? So that was the debate. Moses said that you could divorce as long as there was something displeasing or indecent. So that was the big argument. Well, what did he mean by that? And there was two camps of thought. 
And these two camps, these two schools of thinking were represented by two rabbis. One was named Rabbi Hillel and the other, name was, the other one was named Rabbi Shammai. And this is actually what they would have looked like. We know that, uh, actually. And uh, so these are the two rabbis. And so on one side, what you had was you had Rabbi Shammai, okay? So Rabbi Shammai took, you could put it this way, he took the conservative view. And his view was that when Moses said indecent, what he meant was sexual indecency. And so what he would say is that the only reason a person can get divorced is because of adultery. It's because of sexual immorality within the relationship. If one partner in the marriage sleeps with another person and engages in, in sex with, with someone who's not their covenant partner, he says that would be the reason for divorce. Now, on the other side, you had this other rabbi, Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel said that indecent means anything that you don't like. So whatever, whatever a person would say, whatever a person would think, doesn't really matter anything. In fact, Rabbi Hillel, it's actually recorded. You can read this in the Mishnah, which is an ancient Jewish document. In that ancient Jewish document, um, Hillel is actually recorded as saying that a man could divorce his wife if she burnt his dinner. Um, There's another rabbi who was from the same camp, and he actually said this. He said, if a man finds another woman more attractive, he can get divorced to his wife and marry her. And so basically, he was like, it doesn't really matter. Any reason at all. So if she burns your steak, if you find someone hotter, just divorce. That's what, he would have, that's what he would have said. Now, let me ask you guys a question, okay, just a quick survey of the room. Knowing what we know about human nature, which rabbi do you think was more popular? <laughs> let me just ask you. Whose congregation was bigger? And I can tell you, it was Hillel. It was Hillel. Hillel's teaching was what the majority of the Jewish world accepted back in Jesus' time. This is crazy to me. Did you know in Jesus' day, as conservative as we think it might have been, it was an easy divorce culture. People were getting divorced for all kinds of reasons, for any and every reason. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his life for any and every reason, what are they trying to do? Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trap him. And they're trying to get Jesus to say something unpopular. And they're trying to force Jesus to pick a side. Hillel or Shammai? Now here's the thing. Anyone who's followed Jesus for any length of time knows it's not a good idea to try to get Jesus to pick a side. He doesn't usually play by our rules. And so here's what Jesus does. Watch his response. So Jesus responds. This is so good. Haven't you read? Jesus replied, Now, we need to pause to recognize the sarcastic brilliance of Jesus Christ right now, all right? (laughs) Who's Jesus talking to? Remind me. The Pharisees, the guys who had the Old Testament (laughs) memorized. And Jesus says, you guys ever read your Bible? (laughs) And if that's not sarcastic enough, he goes on to quote the first two pages of the Bible. Here's what he says. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what's Jesus doing here? Well, we actually talked about this a bit last week. Jesus is actually quoting from Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 tells us about the first marriage between the first humans before sin entered the world. And so this is, this is God's ideal, his picture for what marriage is intended to be. Now, here's what I want you to notice, and this is, this is so important. It might seem very obvious, but I think this is so important. I think what Jesus is doing here is brilliant. Jesus, do you notice, he actually doesn't reply to their question at all. He doesn't even respond to their question. They just asked him a question about divorce. 
They're like, who's it gonna be, Hillel or Shammai? And Jesus says, Genesis. He says, Genesis. They're interested in the grounds for divorce, but Jesus says, before we even talk about the grounds for divorce, I'm more interested in the purpose of marriage. I'll put it to you another way. The Pharisees came in and they said, hey, Jesus, we got a question about the cart. And Jesus said, before we talk about the cart, we need to talk about the horse. Let's deal with that first. I think what this reveals to us is something very important. It seems very obvious, but I think it's very important that our view of divorce flows directly from our understanding of marriage. I think this is true. Your view of divorce, your understanding of divorce, the conclusions that we've come to about divorce stem from something and they flow from somewhere. And where do they flow from? They flow from our understanding of marriage. And I think what Jesus is saying is when you misunderstand marriage, it's gonna lead to all kinds of wrong conclusions about divorce. So we have to start here. Why does Jesus go back to Genesis 2? He goes back to Genesis 2 because he's trying to tell us what God intended from the beginning. What is the purpose of marriage? That's what he's interested in. And what is the purpose of marriage, by the way? Well, some of you remember if you were here last week. If you missed last week, you might wanna go, go back and check it out. But here's what we said in a nutshell. We said the purpose of marriage is that God created it to be a covenant partnership. We said that's it. It's a covenant partnership. And some of you are like, what is a covenant partnership? Here's what it is. It is a vow. It is a lifetime vow of faithfulness and commitment to another person. To death do you part, one man, one woman. And God is the one who unites the two of them. There's a spiritual union that takes place. That's what marriage is intended to be. It is, it is as long as I live till death do us part, sickness and health, it's all of those things. That's the idea. It is a covenant partnership between two people. Now, here, here's the thing. When we misunderstand that, when we misunderstand what marriage is, it's gonna lead to some all kinds of conclusions about divorce that are, that are misinformed. So let me see if I can make it a little more practical. For example, for example, I think that many, many, many people today, many people today, and I don't even know if they would say this or if we would say it this way, but I think the way that we approach marriage for many of us is we approach it like a consumer relationship, not a covenant partnership, but a consumer relationship. Now, we all know what that is, right? We know what a, we know what a consumer relationship, we're Americans, we know what consumer relationships are, and we know how those work. So I'll just give you a silly analogy. What, one place in my life that I have a consumer relationship is with, uh, with Great Clips, okay? So I, I get my hair cut at Great Clips. That's where I tend to go. It's cheap, it's affordable, it's close to me, and uh, I, I, I like it. I like it just fine. I'm not trying to dog Great Clips, but I will say this. I think that their name is maybe a little overly optimistic. <laughs> just gonna say that. I think... Like great clips, it's gonna be great. I'm like, really? Maybe like adequate clips, like it's, it's gonna be fine. Like that's, that's probably the better way to say it. But I like it, it's fine, it's great. Great price, it's affordable. And I have a consumer, so I have a consumer relationship. So when I go in, what does that look like? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm friendly with the people. I'm, I'm fine with the people, I, I like the people there. Yes, I wanna get to know my hairdresser. I'm gonna ask her questions about her kids. She's probably gonna ask me questions about my kids. And I, I, wanted, I like that, like I think that's a good thing. But here's the thing, if for any reason, any or every reason, I don't like something at Great Clips, I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else. If something better comes along, I'll go there. And that's entirely acceptable at Great Clips because it's a consumer relationship, right? If it wasn't a consumer relationship, it'd be really awkward. Like if I ran into my hairdresser after I left Great Clips, like I decided not to go, and she saw me and she's like, you're cheating on me, aren't you? You know, that's my hair. I'd be like, you're creeping me out, lady. And so there, there is an, a, there's an appropriate place for consumer relationships, 
But, but I think here's what the Bible is going to tell us is that marriage cannot be viewed this way as a consumer relationship. It cannot be. Think about this with me for a minute. If, if, if what marriage is, is it's a consuming relationship where it's about whether or not I decide if I'm getting what I want. And that's, that's the bottom line. If it's a consumer relationship, that means that a wedding is nothing more than a declaration of how I feel about you right now. It makes no promise about the love that I'm gonna have for you for the future. It gives you no security that I'm gonna be with you till death do us part. It does none of those things. You see, this is what Rabbi Hillel was saying. Hillel was like, whatever, for whatever reason, you could just get rid of it. It was a consumer relationship. And I think, honestly, for a lot of folks today, we we might not even say this, but this is, maybe even unknowingly, this is the way that we view marriage. And I think you can hear it in the way we talk because of the things that we say about divorce. So if I, if I ask someone, why are you getting divorced? Here's some common responses that I might hear from someone. They might say this, well, I'm thinking about getting a divorce because, you know, my feelings have changed. You know, we got, when we got married, we were in love, but I feel like our love has grown, grown cold. I think we've fallen out of love and I think we're thinking about a divorce. Why are you thinking about getting a divorce? Well, I'm just not happy anymore. And I think the biggest thing is that I'm happy, Right? God wants me to be happy, right? Or um, I just, I wasn't getting my needs met. That was the, the issue is I, or you know what? I just, I found someone that's better. There's someone that's more, compa- I'm more compatible with this person and it just wasn't working out. And so, and, and listen, I want you to hear that underneath all of these is a consumer relationship mentality. I could literally say any of these things about great clips. Like literally, I could be like, great clip, my feelings have changed. I just, I found someone better for me. And I could do that. And I, I'm just saying it's a, it's a consumer relationship. It's interesting. I, my wife and I were traveling out of town not too long ago, and we saw this billboard. We, it totally shocked us. This billboard, this, this was it. It said, uh, life is short, get a divorce. And uh, this billboard was for a divorce lawyer. And I was like, that must be Hillel and Associates. Like, that is just straight up, like, you, you hear it. Like, you don't want it, just get rid of it. That's the whole Oh, idea. And I think, I think that all of us would say that surely that can't be the foundation of marriage. And so for a lot of us, we'd say, okay, not, not a consumer relationship, but here's another way that we approach marriage. We approach it like a contract agreement, like a contract, like a contractual agreement. Now we all know how that works, right? Here's how a contract works. A contract is a legally binding agreement where we both have agreed to uphold our end of the deal. So 50-50, you do your part, I do my part. And if either one of us fails to, to meet our end of the deal, well, that means that we've breached contract. And so if you have a contractual understanding of marriage, then divorce is, is something that's simply a breach of contract. And so you can hear it in the way we talk sometimes. Sometimes you ask someone, you say, hey, you're thinking about getting a divorce. Can you tell me about that? And they'll say, well, yeah, I just feel like all I do is give and give and give and give and give. And I feel like all they do is take and take and take and take and take. And they're not keeping their end of the deal and I feel like it's not even, I feel like it's unfair. I feel like I'm being mistreated in that. And so, and so for us, that's a grounds for divorce. And here's the thing. Jesus is gonna say, marriage is not a consumer relationship. Marriage is not a contract agreement. He's gonna say, no, marriage is a covenant partnership. It's something more deep, more binding than that. That's what God intended from the beginning. We have to get marriage right. It is a covenant, it is a covenant partnership. I actually thought this was really helpful. There's a, a legal group called Up Council, and they actually helped give some clarifying language behind what's the difference between a contract and a covenant. And here's some of the things that they said. They said a contract is legally binding, and a covenant is a spiritual agreement. 
They said this, a contract is an agreement between two parties, while a covenant is a lifelong pledge to another person and ultimately to God. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship, while a covenant is something that you fulfill. You fulfill a covenant. A contract exchanges one good for another, while a covenant is giving oneself to the other. What the Bible's gonna say is that we have to understand what marriage is before we even talk about divorce. And what is marriage? He's gonna say it's a covenant partnership. And because of that, because Jesus says that it's a covenant partnership and the two are gonna become one and they're gonna become like one flesh and God is the one who's joining them together and no man can separate that. Because Jesus is gonna say that, I believe that this is the case. I believe that because marriage is a covenant partnership, that means that divorce is like spiritual amputation. That's what it's like. Divorce is not a, it's not a cancellation of services. That's a consumer relationship. Divorce is not the breaking of a contract. It's a contract relationship. It is more like spiritual amputation. Now this, this term, spiritual amputation, by the way, is one I actually hijacked from a guy named uh, Tim Keller, Dr. and Pastor Tim Keller. I think it's maybe the best illustration I've actually heard of biblical divorce. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, Jesus Christ says, if you understand marriage as this deep unity, this deep oneness, then you'll discover that divorce cannot be like taking off your clothes. Divorce is more like taking off your arm. The teaching is that it can be done. The teaching is that it does happen. The teaching here is that it can even be survived, but it's not something that we enter into lightly at all. And I think that's actually really helpful. If God has joined together if there's a spiritual union that's taking place, then divorce is in a lot of ways like an amputation. And I think here's what he's saying. I think it's so good. Sometimes it's necessary. And Jesus is gonna talk about that here in a second. But it can never be our initial response. It can never just be something that we come to quickly, right? You don't do that with amputation. Like I don't just like get a hangnail and be like, well, I got a hangnail, I just chop off the finger. I don't do that. You exhaust every option you do everything possible, and, and listen, amputation is always, it's always the best of a lot of other really bad options. And I think divorce is in a lot of ways the same way. We come to it slowly, we exhaust every offer, uh, every option, and at the end, it's the best option of a lot of really other bad options. That's the heart. Listen, can I just tell you this? I am convinced, after reading through the scripture, that divorce is seldom God's answer. Not never. Sometimes it is, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but seldom. And so because of that, I just wanna say, if you're a person right now who is married and you're really, really struggling in your marriage, and I know that's, that's more people in this room that would let on, let me just tell you, I believe that most of the time, the answer is that you need to double down on your commitment to your spouse. Most of the time, that's the answer. It's like amputation. You know, the Bible says this, guys. The Bible says that God hates divorce. Do you know that? Malachi chapter two, God hates divorce is what he says. Now, I understand that even when I say that, there's some of you that hear that with ears of condemnation. Like God says, I hate divorced people. That's not what he says. God doesn't hate divorced people. God hates divorce because he loves people. And my guess is that if you're a divorced person, you probably agree with God. You probably hate it too. When you think about the pain that it's caused you or you think about, when you think about the relational shrapnel that shows up in your life because of divorce, my guess is that you agree with God. You hate it. My guess is if you're a person who's walked through a messy divorce with a friend or a loved one, you hate it. 
the way that God hates it, not because you hate that person, but because you hate what it does to that person. And so God comes in and says, this is, this is the best of a lot of really bad options. That's the only way you come to a decision like this. And so, so I think the point is this. I think the reason that Jesus takes divorce far more seriously than we do is because Jesus takes marriage a, a lot more seriously than we do. So here's what happens. The, the Pharisees ask a question. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He just talks about the Genesis chapter two. And then they come back and here's what the Pharisees say. So they think they got him. So the Pharisees go, well, then why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her on his way? So they, they got him. They're like, oh, if that's the case, then, then why did Moses command that we get divorced then, Jesus? So Jesus comes in, he clarifies and corrects them. And notice what he says. He replied, Moses, now notice this, Moses didn't command, Moses permitted. They're like, why did Moses command? He's like, he didn't command, he permitted, he permitted you, you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. And I think, I think what this reveals to us is another really important, another important aspect about divorce and remarriage according to Jesus, and that's this, that divorce is always an exception and it's never God's intention. Or, or I'll put it to you another way. I think the Bible's gonna tell us this, that divorce is a concession, but it's never a commandment in the Bible. So back in the first century, rabbis would make a distinction between a commandment in the Bible and a concession in the Bible. A commandment was something that reflected God's heart. This was something that God desired from the beginning. A concession was something that God allowed because of sin and because of the hardness of heart. So here's the truth. If divorce is like amputation, if that's the case, then, then just like amputation, sometimes in some cases, the doctor does have to prescribe it. Sometimes when the relationship is so bad, sometimes when it's so infected, sometimes when it's so far beyond repair, in those cases, then, then it is sometimes necessary. And I want you to notice what Jesus is gonna say. He's gonna say, Moses permitted it, and why? He said, because of the hardness of heart. I think this is very revealing. I think this is incredibly insightful. Jesus says that the heart of divorce is this. It's the hardness of the heart. He says, the reason that there's divorce is because it's because there is a hardness of heart in both parties or in one party. There's a hardness of heart. There's an unwillingness. There's a, complete, there's a complete callousness of a heart, an unwillingness to work forward. And he says, that's what's at the heart of all of this. And sometimes when a heart is so hard and when sin has infected so deeply, divorce is necessary. And sometimes that's the case. Jesus is gonna go on. He's gonna say this. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, now notice this word, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So this might seem pretty extreme, but Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, the reason I have the word except highlighted is because I think this reveals something else to us about what Jesus is teaching, and that's this, and that's this, that there are genuine, according to Jesus, there are genuine exceptions for divorce and remarriage. Uh, there are times when divorce may be necessary or divorce may be needed. There are genuine exceptions in the Bible. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, well, can you give me some examples of what, what, are, what are those exceptions? Like according to Jesus, according to scripture, what would those be? Well, I think we see one right here, definitely. He says sexual immorality. And uh, we talked about that last week. The word for sexual immorality in the Greek is the word pornea. It's where we get pornography from. It means more than that, though. Uh, basically, sexual immorality refers to sexual union with someone who's not your marriage partner. So this is adultery. 
That's what he's saying. And so he says in that case, when adultery has taken place, when someone has united themselves sexually with another person, they have breached the covenant that's happened. And he says, and that can be grounds for divorce. Now, you don't have to get divorced. It's possible to be reconciled. He says, but that is a grounds for divorce. Now, some of you might say, okay, well, that seems like it's the only exception Jesus gives. And, and let me tell you, it is the only exception Jesus gives. In this passage and in Matthew chapter five, it's the only exception he gives. And you might be saying, well, what, what about abuse? What about neglect? What about if they leave me? What about those things? And let me tell you that even though this is the only exception that Jesus gives, uh, it is not an exhaustive list. And the reason I know that is because there's other passages in the Bible that give us other exceptions. So I'll just, I'll just mention one other one. 1 Corinthians chapter seven talks about a situation. The apostle Paul says, imagine there's two people who are married and he says, one of them becomes a Christian. One of them gives their life to Jesus and the other one doesn't. Here's what Paul says. He says, one person is a follower of Christ. The other person isn't. He's gonna say this, you need to stay married. In fact, some of you, listen, some of you are in that situation right now where you have dedicated your life to following Jesus and you're running after him, but your spouse is not and you feel that tension. And some of you, you're in that place where you're exhausted of coming to church by yourself. You desperately wish that your spouse would join you on this journey, but they're not. And can I just encourage you with what the apostle Paul said? And he said this, that God can use you in that circumstance in powerful ways to point your spouse to the Lord. And so I just wanna encourage you in that, all right? But here's what Paul's gonna go on to say in 1 Corinthians 7. He's gonna say, but if the unbeliever leaves, if your spouse leaves, if they abandon you and they're unwilling to work it out with you, he says, just let it be so. And the brother or sister is not bound in that circumstance. God has called us to live in peace. And so here the apostle Paul says abandonment, abandonment. If sexual immorality that's a breaking of the covenant, abandonment if they leave you and they're not willing to reconcile with you. The Bible's gonna say you're, you're no longer bound in that situation. Some of you might be saying, well, like, what about abuse? What about neglect? What about, what if there's illegal activity? What if my kids aren't safe? What am I supposed to do in that circumstance? And let, let me just say on that one, if you feel like you're in a dangerous situation right now or there's illegal activity, activity that's happening I think you need to get out of that situation immediately. Get out of it. Nowhere in the Bible is it going to tell you that you need to endorse or you need to be a doormat to abuse. That's not in there, right? Maybe a season of separation might be needed. Maybe even a prolonged season of separation to allow room for the repentance of your spouse. Now, some of you might be saying, well, when is enough enough? And when does the line need to be drawn? And and listen, here is where there's a temptation to get into all of the intricacies of every situation, and we just can't do that. And so let me just tell you, this is where a sermon has to stop, and this is where counseling, and this is where community must begin, right? There, there, there's so much behind this, and if you're genuinely in a situation like that, here would be my encouragement to you. I would encourage you, do not make that decision on your own. Seek out, seek out spiritual guidance, seek out good biblical counseling from a trusted counselor. Maybe talk to your pastor, maybe talk to your life group leader, maybe talk to the person who's discipling you and journey through that together. I don't think there's a quick, easy answer to that. And so I think that's something that you need to, to, to engage and pray about. And let me just say this, if you're a life group leader or you're discipling someone who maybe is journeying through something like that, a couple helpful resources that I might, I might point you to to go through with that person 
Uh, Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible is a really, really helpful resource that gets into a lot of what the scripture teaches on these topics. And then Divorce and Remarriage for Christian Views is another very helpful book that digs into all of what, um, what, what Bible scholars are trying to say, what exactly does God mean and, and what is his heart? And I would encourage you to dig into that. But can I just encourage you in this? If you're someone who's processing through a decision like that, I really wanna encourage you to not go advice shopping. I don't, don't just go try to find the thing, that the person that's gonna say the thing that agrees with what you want, but try to really figure out what is the Lord saying to you and to follow him in that. All right, now, I think the temptation is that sometimes we can get so focused on the letter of the law that we miss the heart. And what is the heart? I think the heart is right here. Jesus is saying it wasn't supposed to be this way from the beginning. This wasn't God's intention. It's a covenant partnership. And I think because it's a covenant partnership, I think what that means is if your spouse sins against you, if your spouse sins against you, I think that God's desire is that if possible, forgiveness and reconciliation is always God's plan A. And so I think the heartbeat is not just that we're a one strike and you're out kind of thing. But listen, here's the situation. If sin persists and if forgiveness is just expected and if there's a hardness of heart, then sometimes the conversation needs to change, needs to change. One last thing that Jesus says. Jesus is gonna show us this. He's gonna say when a divorce is legitimate, remarriage is an option. There are legitimate reasons for divorce. And when that happens, marriage is, remarriage is an option. Some of you uh, today are remarried and, um, and you've went through divorce and you've went through remarriage for the reasons that we've talked about and God's blessed that and God's used that in powerful and awesome ways and we praise God for that. We think that's an awesome thing. But I also want you to notice and I just want you to see this. Jesus is gonna say, when divorce is legitimate, remarriage is an option, but just because you can get remarried doesn't mean you have to. Doesn't mean you always have to. Now this is, I think this is really, really fascinating. I wanna show you what Jesus says next. And I really wanna talk specifically to the person who's divorced and is not remarried. And I wanna talk for a second to the singles in the room. Okay, so the single people are like, I thought you said there was something in this message for me. I think there is, and I think it's right here. So look what Jesus says next. This is so fascinating to me. Watch what Jesus says. So the Bible says the disciples came to Jesus. So Jesus is done talking to the Pharisees. Now the disciples are there. And the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's just better to not get married. That's what they said. And I love this because the Bible tells us that these guys were scandalized by Jesus' teaching. And here's what I think is so fascinating. The disciples had so bought into the culture's vision for marriage that they viewed Jesus' teaching as totally scandalous. And I think that that's awesome because what that shows us is I think a lot of us are the, maybe the same way. Maybe we, we, we think Jesus' teaching is so scandalous because we've so bought into what the culture teaches about marriage. But look what Jesus goes on to say. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word, only those to whom it's been given. So he says, you're gonna need God's help with these things that I'm telling you. I know they're not easy. But then he goes on and says this next thing. He says, for there are, there are eunuchs. Ah, that's right, eunuchs. We forgot about them. Conversation wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about eunuchs. If this wasn't already an edgy enough conversation, let's just bring eunuchs into the equation, right? Now, some of you are like, what is a eunuch exactly? Okay, so if you don't know what a eunuch is, you can ask your mom later. <laughs> she'll tell you. No, but a eunuch, so here it is. I'll just tell you. A eunuch is a person who would have been uh, fully castrated. And the reason that they would have done that, there's actually a lot of different reasons for it, but actually was somewhat of a common practice in uh, first century times. So everyone would have known who a eunuch was. But for the sake of our conversation, 
Let me put it to you this way. A eunuch was a person who uh, couldn't have sex. A eunuch was a person who couldn't have kids. And a eunuch was a person who would never be married. That's who it was. So here's what Jesus says. Now, this is mind-blowing to me. Jesus says there's eunuchs that were born that way. There's eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Then he says, and then there's some who choose to live that way for the kingdom. And he says, the one who can accept this should accept it. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what Jesus just said. Jesus just said this. He said, listen, there are some people who are going to decide. It's their choice that they're not going to have sex, they're not going to be married, and they're never going to have kids. For the sake of the kingdom, to serve God and to love others. And here's what Jesus says. This is so amazing to me. He says, and that's a completely reasonable option. He says that is a completely, he talks about it in a favorable way. Now, why is that so important? I think here's why that's so important. I think Jesus is confronting this myth. There is a myth that exists, and it exists to this day, that in order to be a fully satisfied person and to be a complete person, that you need to have sex, you need to get married, and you need to have kids. And if you can't have a family, and if you can't have kids, or if you can't get married, or if you never have sex, that you'll never be a fully satisfied person. You'll never be complete. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. That's a myth. There are gonna be some people who decide to live this way for the kingdom and, it, and they can be completely satisfied and completely filled in the Lord. By the way, Jesus Christ was one of them. Jesus Christ never had sex, never was married, never had kids and arguably led the most fulfilled, purposeful life in human history. And what I'm, te- what I, what I'm telling you that is this, some of you, are divorced and you're thinking about getting remarried, some of you are single and you're thinking about getting married and you believe that you cannot be satisfied unless you have that. And I just want to tell you that Jesus is going to say that's not true. That, there, that, you, you can, that if you're married, fine. Listen, marriage is great. It's hard. It's not easy. And it leads to holiness, not always to happiness. And Jesus is going to say, and singleness is fine. It's not easy. It leads to holiness and not always to happiness, but he's gonna say both are completely acceptable. So, so let me just say, so much more we can say on this, but I think we're just gonna have to draw the line there. So we'll stop at Unix here today, all right? <laughs> and um, I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And as, as the band makes their way up here, I actually just wanna end by just praying for all of us. But I know that there's so many different people that are in so many different circumstances that this message is gonna hit you in different ways. And so let me just talk real quick first to the single person in the room. All right, so all the single, all the, all the single ladies. All the, sorry, I couldn't. I just caught, and I was like, Beyonce, yeah, okay, so. All the single people, let me just say to you, um, listen, what Jesus is gonna say is that you can, be, you can find complete fulfillment and total joy in him. And, and, and there's a myth that says that you have to have sex, have to be married, have to have kids to be happy, and Jesus is gonna say that's not true. And you can live a meaningful and purposeful life being a single person. And so if you're someone who is divorced and you're currently single, or if you're someone who's single, here'd be my encouragement to you, all right? Don't waste away the season of singleness that you have wishing yourself out of that circumstance because you believe that there's something more fulfilling on the other side, all right? Now, God might have you in a season of singleness for a short season. It might be a long season. For some of you, it might be a lifetime, but are you willing to come to him and to trust him that what he wants for you is more fulfilling 
than, these, than what these things are promising that they're gonna give you. I also just wanna say that if you're a single person, I almost feel like as a pastor in some ways, I almost need to apologize to you because I think that the church, and I think that maybe even our church has done a bad job at communicating to you that you don't need to be married and have kids and have sex to be someone who lives a fulfilled life. That's just not true. That's what Jesus said. Some of you in this room are engaged to be married. And after this conversation, you're now thoroughly terrified, right? Like, oh boy. (laughs) And if that's the case, can I give you encouragement? I just want to encourage you if you're engaged. Marriage is awesome. It really is. It's hard. It's not everything. It's not. It's not going to fulfill you, not the way you think. It's different than that. It is awesome. But here would be my biggest encouragement to you as you look to get married. My biggest encouragement would be is don't settle for a cheap view of marriage. Just don't do it. Don't buy into the lie that it's a consumer relationship. Don't buy into the lie that it's a contract. God wants something deeper than that for you. My deepest desire for you is that you wouldn't spend all of your time getting ready for the wedding day and not prepare for your marriage. And so one of the things I'd really encourage you to do if you haven't, if you go to our website, you can, uh, on our homepage is something called Symbus, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Premarital counseling, it's also for married couples too but it's a premarital counseling program that helps you get an idea of God's vision for marriage. I would encourage you in that. It's a great place to start. Some of us in the room are married. Some of us are married. And uh, honestly, some of us are um, maybe struggling in our marriages. And let's just be honest. Some are really, really struggling in your marriage. Some of you are in that place right now. And can I just give you some encouragement right now? Can I just tell you, I don't want to pretend to know what you're going through but can I just tell you, I have maybe a little hope. I have seen God. I have seen him. I have seen him redeem, and I have seen him bring reconciliation into the most broken of marriages. Here's my heart for you. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that if you're in a challenging place in your marriage, and I don't know what the answer is, and maybe, maybe there is a hard answer in front of you. I don't know that. But here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that your heart would not grow hard. That's my prayer. Jesus says the big issue behind divorce is hardness of the heart. Some of you are going through a hard time in your marriage and honestly, that's exactly where you are. Your heart is hard. You're unwilling to work on it. You're not willing to hear it from anybody. You're not even willing to listen to God. Your heart is calloused. And can I, can I just tell you that if you're in that place or close to that place right now, can I just tell you, I, I genuinely believe that God brought you here today because he, he, wants, he wants you to soften your heart. He wants to help you. God is the only one who has the answer to a hard heart. And it's only through Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so would you do this? Would you please? And I'd even plead with you. If you're in that place, would you please? Would you get help? It's not weakness to ask for help. And so maybe for you, you need to reach out to someone. Maybe you need to go to our website on the care ministries. We have counselors, professional marriage counselors that we recommend very highly. Talk to a pastor, engage with someone. And then of course, some of us in this room have been divorced and have been remarried. And maybe for you, you're thinking to yourself, I've been divorced, I've been remarried. What does that mean about me? Does that mean that I am identified by that decision in the past? And the answer is, of course not. Just like all of us who come to Jesus, we don't find our identity in our past and we don't find our identity in our brokenness. We find our identity in our Savior. That's your identity here. 
And then, of course, there's some of us, and maybe the last audience I'll address, there's some of us that as we're hearing this, we're like, oh, man, I really messed this one up. And when I think about my past and I think about my marriages and my divorces, and maybe for you, you're on your second marriage or third marriage or fourth marriage or fifth marriage or your sixth met, no judgment here. Maybe you're on like a, and maybe for you, you're looking back and you're like, I just like, seriously, I did it all wrong. And maybe that was on purpose and maybe it was inadvertent. Maybe you're like, I didn't even know. I was just doing the thing. And, and you're like, geez, what does that mean for me? I've made a lot of mistakes here. Does that mean that I've committed the unpardonable sin? And let me tell you, no. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Here's the good news for you. What that means is, is it means that you have the opportunity to repent. You can repent. And I know repent sounds like such a, like a pulpit poundy word, but it's not. Here's what repent means. It just means to change. It means change. It means to It means to go from this paradigm of thinking and this paradigm of living and then to turn to Jesus and adopt his paradigm of living and his paradigm of thinking. And you can do that today. You can turn to Jesus. And even if the marriage you're in today didn't start for the right reasons or even if the marriage that you were in before didn't end for the right reasons, that doesn't mean that you can't turn to Jesus today and live for him in the marriage that you're in now. Say, now this marriage is gonna be the covenant partnership. You can turn to him and have a clean opportunity now because here's the truth, here's the truth. God doesn't love you with a consumeristic relationship. God doesn't love you like that. God doesn't love you with a contractual relationship. God loves you with a covenant love. That's how he loves you. And so that means that there's nothing that you can do to outsend his grace because he's committed to you and he loves you. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just want to say thank you for just your words and your grace to us here this morning. Lord, we need it. And um, thank you for your teaching that deals with just the deepest, most personal items and issues in our hearts and our lives. We know that this is one that touches all of us in one way or another. And so God, I just wanna pray that for, for, uh, for all of us, no, no matter where we're coming from in this conversation, I pray that you would talk, talk with us, speak with us, interact with us, Lord. And I pray that in these next moments as we worship and sing, that we would understand your love, that your love is a covenant love. It's a love that in sickness and health, for better, for worse, till death do us part kind of love. Thank you that you love us that way. I pray you'd help us to internalize that love and let it challenge us and change us. May I see these things in Jesus' name.